Welcome to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that is different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clue series. Today's episode is sponsored by Life & Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We're also brought to you by Aria Benefits. We help visionary business leaders to grow their companies through attracting and retaining top talent. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host and soon-to-be cycling if the weather gets a little warmer, Al McDonald. Well, it's interesting that you should say about cycling because I'm looking forward to our guest today because we're going to have a little chat about cycling. But yeah, that's still a ways off right now. Hopefully within a few weeks, we'll, we'll get some nicer weather and I can get back on my bike, but it sure isn't right now. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not right now, but uh, hopefully it's soon. And uh, we're going to talk about cycling, but we're also going to talk about fundraising, some really cool stuff going on with today's guest. So with uh, no further ado, today's guest is Howard Chang, co-founder at the Turn Lab Inc. As a serial entrepreneur for over 40 years, he's had his share of success and failures. So we're really looking forward to hearing what has worked and why and how we can study success to create strategies for more success. I'm a big fan, of course. Howard, welcome to the show. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome to have you here. Now, before we get started, I wanted to share a little bit of a quick story with the audience because it's pretty unique how you and I connected and the reason behind why we connected. So there I am every morning, like a very good entrepreneur that I am. Uh, like a lot of us, I'm scrolling through LinkedIn, right? Looking for connections, looking for what you know my clients are doing, what my centers of influence are doing. And there I am scrolling through and this video makes me pause. And I see this guy riding his bike at the end of the day down to the beach in Exuma. And you were talking about how you'd done six Zoom meetings that day, which I can certainly relate to. It seems like all I do these days. But you were also talking about making a priority to get out for some fresh air, some exercise. And then you're also talking about the concept of working from anywhere, which, you know, although you see that term, the WFA term, people will certainly talk about working remote from their home, but not a lot of people, at least I've found so far, are are actually talking about working from anywhere. And yet here you are on the beach posting it on LinkedIn for everyone to see. So, So why don't we start there? What's it like working from anywhere? And maybe in particular, Exuma. Well, first of all, I think people like myself and yourselves are extremely privileged that we can work from anywhere because of the nature of our work. Obviously, if you're in the service industry or you're in retail, you are geographically stuck in some cases to your work. But for a lot of knowledge workers, and of course, that's happening more and more, uh, there is an opportunity to work from anywhere. And work from anywhere kind of fits into any definition of hybrid work or remote work that people have in the sense that With technology today, we can do our work, which is predominantly knowledge work, from parked in a car, which is where I am right now. You can do it from Aruba, Exuma, a coffee shop. It's become a lot more flexible. A few years ago, there was a term called digital nomads. And I think we all have the ability to be a little bit more nomadic now in terms of how we work. Certainly for the knowledge worker, yeah, it's opened up a lot of freedom 
and I found in people like yourself and, and myself, who I've done some and, and I'm doing more in the future, it's really opened up a new lifestyle. And in terms of feeling fulfilled and, and maybe pursuing some of those dreams that you knew you might have to wait 20 years to wait for, it's kind of nice that with the technology that we have today, we're able to do those things. So yeah, great to see you posting about that. I think I think it's a conversation that people are more and more getting into and looking into. And I think I think the whole pandemic is, has made people reevaluate what works looks like. And I think, Howard, when you're when you're doing those posts, it maybe gives people pause for thought well, of, of what's possible. So that's really neat to see. Let's talk about, because I want to get into what we're here to talk about and, and a little bit about your business, but you founded and ran a successful ad agency for 25 years and it was going well and, and things were chugging along. And then in 2018, you decided to wind it right down and start the Turn Lab. So maybe talk to us about what led you to that decision and where is that change taking you now? Well, I mean, I think the first thing for everyone to note is I am a serial entrepreneur in the sense that I started my first company when I was 20 and I've founded a number of startups since that time. So I don't have a lot of fear of starting new things. So that's just really the context. I wasn't flippant about my decision, but around 2016, I was really having some conversations with C-suite leaders that are in my network. And they were talking a lot about the fact that they were looking for more from some of their strategic partners, uh, their marketing companies, their, their consultancies, their technology firms. And one of the big things they talked about was this lack of connective tissue between customer insights, marketing, advertising, technology, that there are all these discrete practices that had a lot of space and distance between them when they try to apply them to their business. So we were one of those discrete practices as an ad agency. You know, we're 50 people, we're pretty successful, but we were also noticing that we were starting to stub our toes a little bit in terms of how do we solve our clients' business problems using marketing. We felt our hands were a little bit tied. So in 2018, I came up with this idea that we would try to combine the core attributes of a consultancy, the core attributes of a marketing advertising type agency, the core attributes of a technology company. And that's when we came up with the Turn Lab. And it's literally called the Turn Lab because at the time it was a bit of an experiment. Uh, we started with about 12 people. Uh, we're now about 60. So the experiment seems to be going fine. And we're certainly getting some leaders really responding to what we're trying to do. But it's a learning curve. Things are changing so fast. People talk about the digital transformation. And now we're talking about the great resignation, the great reshuffle, the global pandemic. All these things are creating like lots of pivots. So we are continuing to kind of learn, adapt, learn from both our mistakes and our successes along the way. What does that look like in 2018 for the people around you? You announced to you know friends or, or loved ones or whoever, and from all outside eyes looking in, they're looking at saying, hey, he's got a successful firm. Oh, by the way, I'm shutting that down. And I'm starting something else. And, and to use your term, I'm starting an experiment. What was the reaction among people? Because I imagine there are people, because I've experienced in my life when I start something, you know, the naysayers. What was the reaction? And, and how do you deal with that? Because I'm sure there are people in your network that kind of maybe looked at you at the time and said, mm, Howard, what, what are you doing? Yeah. So, I mean, great question for sure. Lots of naysayers, uh, probably some even within my own family and friend group. But one thing that I always have being someone who's been a little bit of a, I stir the pot because I'm always trying to look at, <laughs> love it, look at doing things differently and look at ways of doing things better. So I'm a little bit guilty of ruffling some feathers sometimes, but the empathy that I've sort of gained over the years is 
when I'm coming forward with an idea, I've spent a long time thinking about it. I've probably done quite a bit of research, a lot of diligence, talked to a lot of people. The people that I'm introducing the concept to haven't gone through that process. So I really try to be patient. I really try to listen to their concerns, you know, be an empathetic voice. When I hear my employees say things like, oh my God, are you crazy? We have a good thing going here. What are we doing? Uh, even for my clients, they're like, are you sure? Is this going to affect our relationship? So yeah, lots of doubt along the way. And I think having an empathetic year and also having an empathetic year gives me an opportunity to learn more. Like when people question what you're doing, they sometimes have knowledge that they can share that can actually help you do a better job creating the model you're trying to create. So I learned a lot in those conversations in order to get the turn lab started in a way that kind of made the most sense. So really it was about, you know, being open-minded, being open to have those conversations, also being able to make some tough decisions. Like I had to let go a bunch of staff. I had severances to pay out. I had some equity holders to buy out. I burned a lot of cash, to be honest with you. And that's also something people are scratching their heads. Like, why would you burn so much cash to start another company? But then, you know, entrepreneurs, we're a different breed, right? <laughs> we don't always have our heads screwed on straight. <laughs> Very true. You touched on this a little bit, but I, I did want to ask you about, you've said you're a serial entrepreneur. You've, you know, you basically had a successful company that you essentially shut down or pivoted from. Where do you get the confidence to keep building? And especially, I'm going to focus on the word reinventing over the last 40 years, because for a lot of people, if you got something going well, you know, I don't think they would just pivot away from that and take a chance. So what gives you the confidence to do that? Well, here's my chance to slip in our favorite sport, Al, cycling. <laughs> I would say being a competitive cyclist for many years and having competed, you know, at the provincial level and the national level and, and being humbled by that experience. Because cycling, as you know, is a very humbling sport. You know, we all have our good days. We all have our horrible days on the bike. But then having to recover from that and then restart and rebuild again is a real test of resilience. And I think resilience is what we all need to make it through society, whether that's mental resilience, physical resilience, emotional resilience. I think cycling or any tough sport like that teaches you that you can actually pick yourself up when you fall down, that you can actually come back when you're feeling empty. And I think my connection with sport ever since I was young is really a huge asset in terms of how I face business. You know, when I look at business challenges, I often go back to those life experiences and go, you know what, I've been through worse. I can get through this. Specific to business, what I would say is I, of course, have tried to learn from my mistake. What I'm trying to do better now is learn from my successes. I used to kind of brush off success. I used to go, yeah, 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 there's a bit of luck involved, there's whatever. But what I'm doing now is I'm trying to study why were we successful in this particular case? How do we repeat that success? How do we systemize that success? And in some cases, how do we productize that success, which is something we're doing right now because we're also an incubator. So we just incubated a new platform that we're bringing outside funders in. And a lot of that is success built on success as opposed to, oh man, we totally screwed up. What did we learn from this? which is part of the equation. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs, we focus on our failures too much. And yes, it's important to learn from them, but there's a lot to learn from our successes. You've made a couple of great points there. And uh, every time we have these conversations, and, I, and I'm sure Robin's going to agree, just listening to some of the things you say, I'm thinking about our business and, and how we can take some of that. And I really like your focus on success. 
And I'm also going to mention about, because I got to go back to cycling. I was never a competitive cyclist. I just do it for fun and exercise and recreation. But to talk about what you were, were talking about there, I ride around the Halton Hills and it's great. I enjoy it. I got the pleasure of riding in the Rocky Mountains a couple of years ago before the pandemic hit. Now that I've had to ride through the Rockies, I don't consider anything around here nearly as challenging, <laughs> but it's to your point, right? Once you've been through some stuff and you really had to dig deep and now you kind of come back and go, oh, you know what? I've been through worse. <laughs> so, so point taken. Yeah. And I was very lucky because I got humbled early. I had a very good start in business. My first business, by the time I was 25, I bought myself a brand new fire engine red Porsche for my 25th birthday present to celebrate some successes I had. And at 29, I went bankrupt overextended myself. The banks called a line, you know, trying to run a company on 17% bank interest in the eighties, by the way, I do not recommend that to anybody. <laughs> so the bankruptcy was huge for me because I went from a guy, you know, living large to living in my parents' basement for nine months with my two kids as a single dad, trying to buy craft dinner and put food on the table. And I think those experiences are also really important to kind of, you know, build that, not just resilience, but also build that foundation of self-belief. If you can get through that, you can get through a lot. It's like you riding through the Rockies, right? Like, you know, you can do 3000 meters of climbing a day. So when you're riding in Halton Hills, you're like, ah, what hills? Yes, there's nothing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, let's unpack that a little more because obviously, and you just mentioned one, I mean, going bankrupt at 29 and, you know, meanwhile, you had had, a, you had the brand new fire engine red Porsche at 25. You know, people like yourself, and I've certainly we've met a lot of them on this podcast, but I, I also know a lot of people who try something and fail, but it sounds like you've had some hard knocks along the way. In your mind, what's the difference? And, and maybe talk about your own personal experience, but what's the difference about why have you succeeded? I mean, you've, you've obviously had some failures that would set people back, I imagine, for a lifetime. So what is it, Howard, that allows you to succeed? I think something one of my children said to me after my bankruptcy, they were very young. They're like six, seven years old at the time. So that'll give you the, some context of their comment. And I think I said it to my son or my daughter. And I said, listen, you know, I don't know. Like, you know, I, I've ran a business for 10 years. Like, I'm thinking like, I got a job offer in New York. Like, I'm considering that. And yeah, I'm pretty sure it was my daughter. She was like five or six at the time. She looked me right in the eye and went, you'd be like the worst employee ever. And like, what do you mean by that? I said, so, well, he said, within weeks, you'll be, be trying to take over the company because that's who you are. That's how you're wired. And she said, you know, out of the mouths of babes, right? So I believe that I am a very committed builder of things. I like to build and I like to solve problems. And I think that urge to do that probably gets me through some of those darker moments that others may not get through. I also have a tendency to look towards the future in my life. So if I'm in the middle of, you know, the dumps right now, because I'm, you know, I can't afford craft dinner for my kids, I'm still able to look down the trail and see what are some of the things I could be doing. And really creating more of a vision for myself is something that I've really worked on over the years in terms of the life I want to live. And that vision has often guided me through a lot of these rough patches. Plus, as I said, I might've gone bankrupt at 29, but I also did a lot of things right. So I would remember those things and went, hey, you know what? I'm really good at marketing. I'm really good at customer service. I'm really good at figuring things out. How can I leverage that for the future? So I would lean on that as well. Yeah, I can definitely uh, relate to that. You know, my wife had said to me one time, you know, what if someone came along and, and offered you, you know, a, a silly amount of money for the company? 
would you go and work for somebody else? And I said, Oh yeah, sure. You know, I could do that. And then I just go into cruise control. And then she looks at me like, no, nah, no, nah, you couldn't because I, again, and Al, and, and I've had the same conversation with Al and Al just, you know, kind of laughs it off. Like, no, you're not fitting into any company because I think it's in you. If you're a creator, if you're a builder, you enjoy building things, you enjoy that challenge and you enjoy that challenge of the chaos because there is chaos being an entrepreneur. So I think a lot of our listeners in it, because a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs and, and they face a lot of the same issues. So I think that will really resonate with a lot of people. I also think that there's a lot of people that think they're entrepreneurs, but they're actually more what I would call small business owners. And their motivation to start a business has less to do with building something and more to do with, I don't want to work for somebody else. And that's a completely valid reason to start your own business. And there's a lot of really great small business people that run a great business and do a great job, but they are not necessarily wired the same way as an entrepreneur. And I know some entrepreneurs that are way more hardwired than I am. And they're basically cut from a different cloth. I think wanting independence is one thing, wanting to create something of legacy, of importance, of something that really stand the test of time. It's something that's hardwired into entrepreneurs. And I I think that is a distinction that most people should recognize because if you are a small business owner, but you're feeling pressure to be that entrepreneur, sometimes the shoe just doesn't fit. Mm, Good point. Yeah. I like that. You made a point earlier and it's a great segue into what I want to ask you next, Howard, and that is about problem solving because you said you see yourself as a problem solver and that you're you're very good at it. So can you talk a little bit about what big problem you're currently working on and for who? Yeah, we on a regular basis are solving problems on behalf of our clients and that's super fun and we love doing it and we get paid well for doing it. But we also look at what are some larger societal market or environmental problems out there that need some thinking and some solutions. And, you know, over the pandemic, we really understood that the whole work from home, work remote, the ecosystem that leaders were talking about didn't seem to really answer the problem that many of our staff were looking at. And so we started doing some research around the whole concept of work from anywhere. And what we saw was we saw a gap. So between working from office and working from home, there was this third place that we identified that a lot of people were longing for. You know, we talked to single moms that were working from home and saying, God, you know, there's times when I just literally need a quiet space to have a Zoom call, an important Zoom call, or I need to get together with a teammate, but I don't want to spend an hour and a half round trip driving downtown to the corporate offices. I wish I had somewhere professional, clean, and close by. So we came up with a concept and it's called Just Boardrooms, justboardrooms.com. And what it is, it's an on-demand app for professional meeting spaces. So any company that has excess boardroom space, whether you are a professional co-working place or a hotel or even a business like our own business, we have a 11,000 square foot offices with three professional boardrooms and a receptionist. We can put our boardrooms on that app. So it's like an Airbnb for professional meeting spaces. So the problem that's trying to solve is to really reduce the friction for people to work from anywhere. If you're able to book a boardroom on demand for an hour, $50 an hour, depending on what you need it for, or a workshopping space that's maybe a little bit bigger so you can get together your team and do some collaboration. That's going to really help reduce some of the friction between what they call remote working or hybrid working or whatever solution people are trying to come up with at the moment. And it's been a big challenge. You know, we haven't ever launched a 
Airbnb type platform before. We had to get outside investors. We put seven figures ourselves into this to incubate it. And we launched it in November. It's starting to gain some traction. We're definitely excited that it hopefully will solve that problem. But again, it's a startup and you know, there's lots to play out to see how it's going to go. Howard, I wanted to jump in there because you know we've talked about it and, we've, and certainly Alan and I have talked to a lot of people about this. We're living in a different time. We talked about pivoting and, and all day today on our podcast, we've talked about struggling through the pandemic and, and what companies have done. But I know there's a lot of leaders who are really struggling to break through and break through the noise of everything going on right now, or, or even just trying to create more consistent outcomes for their organizations. What advice would you give to those people? Well, the first thing is it takes a village, right? And, and I think that's something that, you know, as you get older and wiser, like us, the three older, wizened people. Okay, you guys aren't that old, but I'm just teasing you a little bit. <laughs> As you gain some wisdom, you realize, you know, there is no self-made person. There's always a collaboration with others, and it really does take a village to create success. So I think one of the things that I would say is that particularly in times like this is really work hard to recruit, retain, and surround yourself with really smart people and not just smart people, but people that are aligned with you in terms of your values, your vision, and reward them well in the sense that it isn't always about dollars. Sometimes it's about what type of benefits you're offering, what type of perks you're doing, what type of flexibility, how interesting are their projects, what is their opportunity for growth. These are all things that we consistently work on at the Turn Lab in order to get the best people. And I think we've done a good job doing that because we've really invested in our people. So I think yeah, as you look to the future, Technology is going to play a big role, but you cannot underestimate the power and the potential to accelerate your business into the future successfully if you have great people. And as we know, it's a tough time right now to get great people. So how do you change your narrative? How do you change your value proposition? And how do you get your own staff who currently are with you and love working with you to become mavens and advocates for your business and your brand? Yeah, that's really good advice. And I love what you said about having people that are aligned with you, having people that are aligned with your values. I mean, we call them guiding principles. I mean, that's something that we bring right into the interview process. And I think that's really good advice. That's a great spot to wrap it up. Howard, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad I saw your video that day and we ended up connecting. I really appreciate you sharing your journey. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at the Turn Lab? Yeah, so the best way to reach me is through our website, probably www.theturnlab.com. And I have an email in there that you can just click on and email me. You can follow me on Twitter at AdCycle. And you can also follow our various Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter handles at The Turn Lab as well. Okay, awesome. Well, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or rejoining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues. And remember, it all starts with one.